Welcome, food enthusiasts, to another episode of the Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Miller, your interviewer for today. And as always, we have great thought leaders in the food space. Today is no different. With us, we have Kimberly Schaub. She is the Business Development Manager with Griffith Foods. Welcome to the podcast, Kimberly. Thank you so very much for having me here. Yeah, we're excited to hear all about what you're doing because you have a rich history in the food space and a lot of passion going on there. Well, tell us what you do as the business development manager with Griffith. Well, what don't I do, it feels like. Um, Firstly, thank you again so much for inviting me to be here. It's so exciting to get to share my story and hopefully encourage other folks to pursue a really great career in food. I absolutely love it. So my objective here is to share how much I love it. So a business developer at Griffith Foods is really similar to a sales position. You know, I have specific accounts and customers that we have a really longstanding positive relationship with. I also spend a good bit of time uh, prospecting for new accounts. I'm in the snack and organic side of the business, and we're growing that um, as quickly as we can. And so I spend a lot of time looking at company missions and values and seeing where Griffith can activate and serve those missions and help those companies achieve their goals. So I think that's the big difference between um, a sales account director and a business development manager would be that stronger focus on prospects. Absolutely. Now, can we back up a little bit about Griffith Foods? Because we jumped right in with what you do, but what does the company do? It's a pretty large company. Yes. Yeah. Griffith Foods is a global uh, dry blending and um, seasoning company. And you can find us on practically every continent. There, you know, Antarctica isn't quite a home base for us just yet. But, um, you know, we do really our focus is custom blends for customers. So we work to understand where the customer wants to serve their consumers and then find ways to help serve them there. So um, Griffith started in the Chicagoland area serving the meat industry. So if you eat a lot of breakfast sausage or uh, crunchy chicken sandwich kinds of products, you've probably had something from the Griffith Foods team. And uh, Griffith is actually a privately held company. It's family owned by the Griffith family. Brian Griffith is our chairman. And uh, so it's unique because we are family owned, but very, very large. So we have a lot of buying power. We have a lot of manufacturing capabilities and uh, operate with a value set that really focuses on family. And we have global reach. So that allows you, say, Mr. and Miss Customer, wherever you are, um, say if you're producing in the U.S., we have U.S. offices. If you want to move your offices to Europe, we can actually meet you there too. And in Southeast Asia. So Griffith is uh, really good at really complicated formulas. We often perform really well head to head in flavor profiles. And what I'm really excited about is we have a very specific mission in sustainability. And um, so we're looking at ways to impact the spice industry by sourcing more sustainably, by looking at our carbon emissions and reducing that footprint. And, you know, some of you might be thinking, well, I've heard a lot of other companies talk about net zero and what it means to try get to net zero on carbon emissions. And that is something that Griffith is very much aware of for our customers. It's also something that we've taken on personally um, to work and help our customers do better with their footprints as well. Yeah. And being such a large company with a global footprint, and might I say, I don't think Antarctica is a home base for many (laughs) companies. 
you're okay there. There's no competition. You're <laughs> all right. There, nobody else has a leg up on you, so it's not a problem. But I think the whole sustainability piece coming from a large company, even though, as you said, you are family owned, but with that large global footprint, other smaller companies are really looking to see what you're doing and, and how you're doing it so that they might be able to mirror that. So in a lot of ways, you serve as a model for some of the smaller companies that are in the food space. And I think that's definitely part of the heart of what Brian Griffith is looking for is to, to offer demonstration of what it looks like to be a very large company that is pursuing uh, values first. And then knowing that other companies are also going to join that, or we get to join where they are. Um, and I think that's really exciting. It's fun to be uh, the boots on the ground, if you will, to find those relationships and start to build them. It takes years to build a trusting relationship with your suppliers. And we recognize that. And so I'm excited to, you know, honestly, build that relationship from the ground up. And then um, if it's me or if it's someone else who gets to to grow it through fruition, then that's kind of the exciting part of it too. Yeah, that is really exciting. And also where you work, your customers are really the business to business customers who then are serving the consumer. So you're really responding to what the consumers are wanting and what their trends are. And you mentioned you're a lot in the snack space. Yeah, so that's a great clarification. You brought forward some great things. So let's explore those a little, I think, and help um, our audience a bit. So you're right, Griffith is a B2B. So we serve companies that their products would end up on the grocery store shelves or go to the food service establishment wherever it's being served. So you would, you would have a harder time finding Griffith Foods products on the shelves. Um, my mom really always wants to know what I'm working on, but of course we can't really talk about it because everything is custom. And so it's kind of fun. It's kind of like, well, I really do have a job. I'm not a spy, but I know it seems like it. So that's kind of the component of B2B is that we help another company get their kind of dreams and ideations to reality and to go to, to the stores. Your success is their success. So if you can help them with your flavorings and your ingredients that go into whatever it is they're producing, then you're successful as well. Exactly. So we take the uh, customer intimacy kind of strategy forward as far as how we like to work with, again, with our customers and understand, okay, well, let's pretend um, we've, we're from a really big chip company and they're looking to create line extensions for clean label grocery sets because as, as our consumers know, we're moving towards cleaner labels all the time. And there's that first generation of elimination of ingredients that sounded a little strange or we're not really sure why they're in there. And so that was an easy thing to pull off of our ingredient statements and help our R&D team really access more pure ingredients. This next evolution of where we are with clean label really looks more at how we source the ingredients, focused a little bit more on regionality and say that terroir of an ingredient. We talk about that in wine and really it does matter for spices too. You know, a Turkish oregano and a Mexican oregano do not taste the same and they have really specific different applications. And so something that I really like doing as a business developer is drawing through my food scientist and research chef background and getting to have those conversations with customers to say, hey, I know you're looking for a profile that's really inspired by Latin America. So let's talk about the types of ingredients you want to use. What profile are you really targeting? Are we looking at say, the northern kind of more California, Baja regions of Latin America? Are we talking about pushing more into South America and what do those profiles mean? And one thing that's really cool about Griffith is we have 
research chefs, active research chefs, R&D scientists, sensory team. We have all of these folks available for our customers to go in and um, support a customer's kind of selection of a flavor profile and then how we go through the iterations. So I think that's something that's really unique about how we get to serve our customers. Yeah. And so you talked about the clean labeling, which is kind of on that really the back end of what you're doing. But I mean, you're pursuing an MBA in sustainability. You talked about the sourcing of your products in a sustainable way as well. That flavor profile is important, but talk to me about how you do that. Are you looking for certain types of farmers or how do you source sustainability on the front end? That's such a good question. So we can do it two different ways and and Griffith does pursue sourcing in two different kind of major buckets. One is direct sourcing with farmers and communities that um, have certain ingredients that we're looking for. For example, we grow and use a lot of chili peppers. It's a spice company. You'd expect chili peppers to be involved in there, right? (laughs) So we, we do have direct relations with the farming communities that have specific peppers that grow them and harvest them and then we buy all of those from them and that money then uh, stays in that community and we have that relationship with that um, farming community over the long term and a lot of the farmers in developing nations are women and so we get to serve a community and we're doing business with women business owners which I think is a really um, effective uh, opportunity because when they are paid fair prices, the uh, families can send some of their children to school. It allows that community then to have more access to other jobs. It brings in different income for those communities. And we as a, as a global um, society get to improve by doing fair business with others in other countries, right? So that's one way. And it's the place where I'm very passionate. I get to direct my interest from my MBA um, in that space. The other way that Griffith sources is through partnerships with um, organizations who are sort of the cooperatives or the um, distributors products from farmer communities like that. And so that's a little bit more common um, in the spice world because not it's not practical to have a relationship with every grower of every spice you're going to, to use especially our smaller volume ones. So we, we uh, work with very specific partners and we understand what their business practices are. And we really are working to um, develop a trusting and verified relationship with our supply chain. Um, and one of the ways we do that is with an EcoVadis certification. That's a global value chain evaluation of how sustainable we're acting. And it's an interesting um, scoring system. It's not meant to be an advertisement for them, but I'll go into it a little. Yeah. Um, they're kind of like the BRC of sustainability and, and good kind of sustaining business practices. And so it's a way to verify that the practices that we have in-house, the ones that we implement with our supply chain and throughout our value chain, that those are following the best practices the most fair to the labor practices. And you get a little score score at the end of it and kind of gives you, I think, uh, platinum, gold, silver, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the rating and the score is based on everyone else who also um, tests or, or reports that year. So it's sort of like a bell curve. So if you got a platinum in year one, you're not guaranteed a platinum the following year because everyone is trying to improve their practices, right? Okay. So the great thing about that is our bar continually raises. By being um, somewhat in a bell curve, we're also challenging each other to 
act better, act more globally together. And so that's one way that Griffith really um, shows up well. We've, we've gotten really high scores. And again, our teams are pushing really hard to continue improving. And again, that's where I like um, pulling my knowledge as a food scientist forward because I understand quality systems and food safety. And that's a component of this, but it's not the only thing. And those principles have been really helpful to understand and how to translate that information across. And I imagine your, your background as a food scientist and working in food has got to be able to, I mean, color and inform all that you're able to give as a business development person to your clients and what you bring to the table. Yeah, I think that having a technical background is very much a strength for sales and business development. It allows you to really get um, to know the nitty gritty of the concern that the customer is looking for. And honestly, a lot of the people that I work with are the R&D arm of the customer's team. It's, it's um, you know, the chefs on that side. It's their product developers. Sometimes it's their food safety folks. If they're asking, hey, can we get this certification? And, and you know, we get to have the conversation. Do you really want to pursue all of those certifications? Because every certification costs money and effort. And they are often right. And we like to make sure that they want those for the right reasons. Right. But I'm sure that, like I said before, you as a large global company, by always trying to up your game and improve how you're doing in certain areas, especially the sustainability area and the certification you just spoke of, that helps everyone do better because the smaller companies are watching what you're doing and everybody's going to move forward together or at least know what to strive for. And as you have new innovation that allows you to do better, they're going to be learning from that as well. And you've got more resources and some of the smaller companies do. So that's really encouraging. I know to a lot of our listeners who might be involved with smaller companies or have their own startup that, you know, they're going to be able to mirror what some of the larger companies are doing and putting investment into. Yeah, thank you. It's, <laughs> um, you know, some of the challenges with being a really large company is that some of the policies we put in place meant for large companies can mean that it takes us a little bit more time to pivot. Or as we learn new information in the food industry, there are times that uh, it's like, oh, why can't we just decide to go take a sharp, sharp turn? And it's like, well, because we're a really large company, we have a lot of people who rely on us as business partners, as employees. And so we can't just necessarily uh, take the spontaneous decision, but we do have a lot of healthy debate internally about which direction we should go, why that seems to be the best fit and what our forecasts are for the future. Um, opportunities there, really exploring the upside opportunities for a lot of, of different competing opportunities again that come in and really phasing those out to understand um, which ones should we pursue because this is right for us now and we have the capabilities today and which ones could we build to in the future. Very key. And speaking of building to the future, I know there's a lot of discussion, especially in the sustainability space around protein sources, plant-based protein, all that. And you have a bit of experience in that area. I believe. Yeah, Griffith Foods um, has played a really pivotal, pivotal role in um, offering flavor and texture solutions for plant-based foods. And so I've, I've personally gotten to build some experience through that. We offer a lot of internal trainings, a couple of our, our major customers are also um, pursuing that. And the really cool thing about um, what I like about Griffith and how I, I like pulling through my technical background is all of the trainings that we offer. Um, last year, we actually had 
the majority of the company goes through nutrition for non-nutritionists, meaning that we gave everyone a baseline on, on the basics of, of nutrition science and how health claims affect our understanding of nutrition and then where we really understand the science to be today. Mm -hmm. as, as with everything else, the more we learn about the world, sometimes that science gets a little obsolete. And so it's important to continue updating that. I've never been in so many training requirements um, as compared to here. And, and there are times I was like, oh, I have another training video. But it's really good because it's really keeping us sharp. It's keeping us honest about what we do and don't know. And the folks who have a lot of experience in certain space, for example, I work a lot in sustainability. So I, I have become more familiar there. I get to share my knowledge, but then say if I'm uh, interfacing with someone who works in space that I don't play a lot, say seafood, then we have subject matter experts there who can also share their knowledge back to me. So it's it's kind of, it's fun that way. You know, I, I attended an alternative protein presentation that uh, we hosted for the Research Chefs Association Young Professionals Network last night. One of the research chefs presented on a topic that he had been researching. And it was really interesting to, to look at how alternative protein or plant-based protein has evolved over time. And really it comes down to recognizing that a lot of food cultures and food traditions were plant-based, right? Because it wasn't really feasible to eat as much meat as we do in the Western diet today. And so we're finding that we can both look to our people history and food traditions and find out what we can draw forward again and, and consume sustainably to, to feed you know, over 7 billion people as we're on very much on the trajectory to getting 9 billion people. That's and then understand how can science help us with this? How can we as product development organizations, as packaged food companies go out into the world, how can we be part of this bigger mission together? I really like the Good Food Institute's kind of sharing of knowledge. They really allow for a lot of, of research to come through. They talk about um, marketing trends and things like that. The information that helps smaller companies access information specific to this category to say, do I have an opportunity here? Who else is in this space? Can I find some funding? And a lot of that is um, discussed and and found in these professional networks, such as the Research Chefs Association. And so that was a long preamble to, I was fascinated to see that cultured meat and um, fermented uh, proteins are very much the piece of interest for companies that are looking at ways that we can serve that aren't, um, you know, going into the same burger and chicken nugget uh, mimemic, we're looking at what that next stage is. How can we replace dairy and dairy sets in grocery stores with non-dairy options that still give you that creamy, indulgent experience that is from dairy milk that a lot of the non-dairy um, products don't yet capture. So thinking about, you know, how do we, again, get that consumer's experience to be top-notch, but then help them eat with uh, less reliance on the meat industry. Right, and early in that conversation, you mentioned like a research chef presentation. And what is a research chef? Is that different from 
a regular chef. Talk to me about the whole research chef terminology. What does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. So that is the job title that I think my dad is convinced is a fake title. Um, where, <laughs> you know, like no doubt I'm a research chef, I swear. <laughs> No, I don't work in a restaurant. So yeah, a research chef typically does not work in restaurants, at least not the physical brick and mortar restaurants. There are research chefs who work for, say, larger chains of restaurants or or restaurant groups. Um, and really the, the mission of a research chef is to draw from their culinary experiences and create recipes that are meant for scale up. So it's much larger than a single unit. It's often multi-unit as far as food service goes, or uh, research chefs and product developers will share similar roles because they're actually developing concepts that get commercialized for uh, packaged food production. Uh, research chefs and product developers can often and like I said, share similar roles, but their expertise may be different. Research chefs most typically come through with culinary experiences. A lot of us have worked in restaurants in our past or sometimes currently. And we really focus flavor and texture combinations that are more sensory focused. Whereas product developers often know a lot about the food science and the technical uh, commercial equipment used to produce at very, very large scale. And so um, I think what's unique about my experience is that I have a research chef. I call myself a research chef because that's kind of the best description of, of smooshing all of the culinary experience with food science. Um, but really, it's been a research chef product developer combined activity for me because I've done both the culinary inspiration and the commercialization of products. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing about product developers, oftentimes they come to um, the industry with food science backgrounds. And um, research chefs often come to the industry with culinary backgrounds or a lot of culinary experience, you know, based on years of experience. So that can sometimes be another way to approach those two career pathways. At the Research Chefs Association, really, we just take everybody's career experiences and bring us together to try, again, cross-pollinate a bit, share those learnings that the food scientists have about equipment or new processing, food safety, equipment methods, you know, things like that. And then bring the chefs forward to say, well, these are, you know, these are the classic flavor profiles that would work really well. And then you bring in the marketing team and they say, well, this is what really picks up, you know, and consumers really want these flavor profiles. So the chef says, oh, I can, I can do that. And then the product developer says, yeah, I can literally do that and, and help you bring it to market. Very nice. I mean, it sounds like the best of every, you just bring the best of everything together and, and mold. Uh, what is that official term you use? Smush it all together? <laughs> yes. And Highly technical. All together in order to get the best of all of those worlds coming together to try to meet the consumer's needs. And to that aspect, I mean, you, you have even started your own podcast to get information out there and interview thought leaders yourself in that area. I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that and what that experience has been like. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, the podcast is called Peas on Moss. It is a wordplay on the French culinary term mise en place. So if you've ever watched a cooking show or, or do this yourself, where you kind of prep all of your ingredients and everything's in those little bowls or whatever, off to the side, and it's like, well, while you're sauteing, now add your whatever ingredient, and you know, you're doing your little thing, uh, which I loved doing when I was a kid. I loved pretending like I was doing those things. So that, that all those bowls, all of that prep, is your mies uh, in the, the sloppy English, American English way of describing that. Um, and so mise en place would be, you know, how well prepared you are for your cooking. 
in my case, I, I did a play on that word, partly because I learned how to pronounce mise en place by saying pis en masse. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> um, and then partly because when I look at product development experiences, when I look at my own career, nothing went exactly how I chopped it all up into those little bowls. I didn't add those ingredients at exactly the right times. And all of those things that were told in college and high school, like, well, first you get this degree and then you work this way for a few years and then you get promoted. And it's like, <laughs> none of that goes that way. So the wordplay is just to show none of it goes as planned, but you're still falling forward. You're still moving forward. You're still building a career um, network working with subject matter experts and saying, hey, can you help me understand how that worked? And I actually started recording those conversations with, with those experts' uh, permission, of course, to say, you know, do you mind if I record our conversation? Because the knowledge that you're sharing with me shouldn't just be for me. I think other people should hear it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where the podcast came from, is just generous mentors and friends who wanted to share their stories, their experiences, and help me avoid hitting the same potholes that they did. Because I have my own potholes to hit. Yeah, I um, think all of us do. I, I <laughs> right? That whole story can resonate probably with all of our audience members in one way or another, because I know <sighs> my cooking very rarely looks all organized with everything in a little bowl. I mean, I'm usually throwing it in a stir fry and mixing it up but, exactly. but we still all come out with a great result no matter our process you can still come out with a great result I think that's what I'm taking as a message from what you're saying and your little play on words is no matter what the plan is the actuality and and what really happens still yields a good result you just yeah. might not gotten there by the same, by the method you plan to get there with. So I, I think we can use that in a lot of ways in our lives. <laughs> exactly. Exactly true. Example. I remember when I was leaving the Air Force, I really, you know, I was, I was looking at what my civilian career was going to look like. And I was looking at my nutrition friends who were, you know, they had all of their dietetics uh, certifications. And I was looking at the restaurant world and a lot of them were younger than I was. And I felt really like I was behind and I felt like I was an imposter for wanting to pursue this career as a research chef when I didn't really know what it was. It was that realization that my method to get there wasn't irrelevant. It, it informs who I am and how I am as a leader. And it's a strength of mine that I get to leverage later because my, my experiences in these different places, while they might be just horrible to go through at the time, and you just really want to fast forward through all of the schooling years and all the homework nights, I'd love to fast forward through those, but they really do shape who you are. They really shape how we get to show up every day. And so that's part of my mise en place as well. Yeah. Very nice. We have, we have covered just so many different great topics that can help our audience and inform them. And anybody out there that didn't know what a research chef is, now they do. And that might be a career that somebody wants to take a look into. Is there anything else you would like for our audience to know before we leave, Kimberly? I would say if you heard terms that you uh, were interested in and um, career paths that you were interested in, Google them first. And then um, I'm happily available to anyone who's interested in career conversations. And, um, and then honestly, find podcasts like this one where you get to dig in to a, a knowledge-based or not knowledge-packed conversation and um, learn something new about yourself, learn something new about another career field, how that 
expert thinks and talks. I think that's the way that we get to move forward is, is really don't, uh, don't get hung up on the things we don't know. Go find out and then start building your own path. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your expertise today and helping inform us about really all that Griffith Foods is doing, especially in the sustainability space. And again, the research chef definition and description. Appreciate that. And we're so glad that you came with us today on the Future Foodcast. Thanks, Kimberly. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 